You're listening to School A Sisters, episode number 26. Welcome to School A Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandi Benzel. You can find me at Afterthoughts, that's my main blog, and also Teaching Reading with Bob Books, which is where I keep my line of printable phonics lessons. You can hear more from me on my other podcast, my co-hosts today are Misty Winkler and Pam Barnhill. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and too many projects. She writes about practical classical homeschooling at Simply Convivial and about organizing attitudes at Simplified Organization. Pam is an author, speaker, blogger at pambarnhill.com, and you'll probably recognize her from her two popular podcasts, Homeschool Snapshots, and Your Morning Basket. This episode is sponsored by The Art of Homeschooling. It's the truth. The perfect plan will never be perfectly executed. Homeschool days will go horribly wrong. Our energy will fizzle out and our attention will wane. Our kids dawdle, complain, and bicker. It happens. To work our plan isn't to fix ourselves, our home, or our children so that such things never happen. No, to work our plan is to have strategies for handling life even when it goes off the rails, because that's when important lessons are learned by all. Visit simplifiedorganization.com homeschool to download the free motivation prep sheet that will help you discipline and organize your homeschool morning attitude even when it's been two hours since your last cup of coffee. We are kicking off a series of three episodes that were recorded live online with some of our forum members. This series is loosely based around Charlotte Mason's motto that education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. Today's episode is all about atmosphere, and we even give you a downloadable atmosphere audit to help you put these ideas into action in your homeschool. We'll explain how to get it at the end. And so, without further ado, let's get to it. Let's start off with our Scalay RDA. Who wants to go first? I'm the only one who put anything in. You guys got to have something, right? Surprise. <laughs> yeah, really. So I can't know. Just don't steal mine. Oh, I feel better about mine now that I see yours. <laughs> <laughs> who said oh. it has to be a mature selection? Oh, interesting. Okay. I'll go first. All so. Right. Mine is, uh, I think this is like a young adult book or something like that. It's Queen Eleanor, Independent Spirit of the Medieval World. And it's El Eleanor of Aquitaine is cool. who this is about. So anyway, I got this because Jessica, my friend Jessica, who does co-op with me, she was like, oh, this is the best book. You've got to read this book. And then she gave it to another mom in co-op and that mom devoured it in a couple of days. Now, of course, it's taken me much longer than everybody else because I've been reading from another book, which shall remain nameless. Um, but anyway, trashy so romance novel again, huh? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I've been, uh, I've, I'm a couple chapters in and I've been enjoying it. It's really good so far. So okay. I, and it's, it's a nice, easy read, but it's, you know, there's history there. And so it's fascinating. So anyway, I like it. Hmm. What about you, Misty? I am reading my Okay, I'm going to say it wrong. My Antonia. My Antonia. <laughs> the accent's on the A. And, oh, it is. And Antonia? I, I said Antonia. That's people say it. And is then that Willa Cather? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And I've never read any Willa Cather before, but we've, we've had it on the shelf for forever. I, I have a used library copy that I picked up at some point, and I heard someone else talking about this book sometime last year, and so I thought, ah, that sounds like a good one to just pick up. So, and it has been, although, yeah, lots of death. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's uplifting. <laughs> and okay, on that, that happy note, <laughs> I know so little about that book. Is that a novel? Yes. Okay. It's a novel. I've just heard the Families, name. Families, 
family's moving to Nebraska. So it's prairie life in Nebraska. Very difficult life. So is this, yeah. is this like, I was going to say pilgrims. It's not the pilgrims. But is this like the Laura Ingalls era? Oregon Trail stuff? I mean, is it that kind of like settling type? Boy, yeah. you're going to put my Sorry. American history timeline to the test. I think it's before that. But okay. that same kind of. It's like mid 1800s, isn't it? Frontier kind of. Yeah, frontier, pioneer, just a different part of the country. Pioneer, not pilgrim. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was so close. Okay. <laughs> All right, I have my book, and it is At the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness. I'm reading this aloud to my kids. Actually, I just finished reading this aloud to my kids, and then we started the next one because Andrew Peterson wrote, I think it's a trilogy. I think there's three. We have three. Um, I think there are four. Uh oh. Don't tell my kids. (laughs) (laughs) There is no more money in the book budget right now. Um, Read slowly. Yeah, really. That's the thing there. I, the chapters are short and they're good. And so I'm totally getting sucked into reading more than one. And I know then this is going to become a thing where they think they're entitled to more than one chapter, but it doesn't translate over well into books that have long chapters. So I'm going to become a slave to my kids. I think anyway, it's so good. I mean, and I expected to like enough people like it that I thought I'll like it, but I didn't expect to be tempted to like stay up at night after they go to bed and read ahead. Wow. <laughs> I've, totally, I've totally done that more than one time. <laughs> so anyway, it's good. And it's, you know, I'm always kind of snobby about more modern books, but I will say a lot of them don't read aloud well. That movie action kind of feel that they have jumping from place to place. There's no way for me to really duplicate that when I'm reading aloud. So it gets kind of weird feeling. This one, even though it does a little bit of that, it reads aloud really well. So we're enjoying it. Knox actually just finished reading that to himself. Oh, did he really? (laughs) Oh, he does. Okay. He does. Okay. With slightly scary books at night. Yeah. Well, he's a little scary. Already read all the red wall multiple times. Okay. So he's so yeah, it's yeah. (laughs) I'm like my, my older children were such chickens. And I'm learning that my younger ones are totally not like they don't care. They're not going to have, like I used to, say, you know, you can't read, like there were Andy Wilson books that were labeled yeah, yeah. until you're 10 because <laughs> I just didn't want to be up with people with nightmares at night. And I realized now that that is totally unnecessary for my younger ones, but now it's a rite of passage. So there's certain ones that they still <laughs> aren't reading until 10. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to read some of the Andy Wilson books at bedtime. Yeah, Although really. I did, but <laughs> <laughs> it's that creepy cat. <sighs> Okay, so today's topical discussion is about atmosphere. Okay, so we're doing a series of three, and I think a lot of people know Charlotte Mason's saying, or whatever you want to call it, but that where she says education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life, which she actually got from, she says in her book, she got this from the classical educator Matthew Arnold, and then... Misty seems to think that Arnold is summarizing history, right? Like you're seeing this everywhere as you're reading through the great tradition. So we're dividing that up. Education is an atmosphere, a discipline in life into three. So today we're doing education as an atmosphere. I thought first we probably should start with a definition of what we mean by atmosphere. And I think atmosphere is really, really huge. So I think we should narrow down you know, to like some part of atmosphere we're going to talk about because we probably don't have time to tackle the whole big, amazing thoughts. So with that said, Misty, you did the reading assignment. So do you want to start us off on this section? Oh, Um, a definition? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What are we going to say here that atmosphere is or isn't? Well, I think actually the idea that kept coming back to me while I was thinking about it and also reading when I've been reading the great tradition, um, which has readings on education from Plato on through is it really, I think atmosphere kind of summarizes the Greek concept of paideia Hmm. where culture is being passed down. Education is culture being passed down. So it's not just what things look like, but it's it's trying to get at this idea that every part of life makes up your education, not just school hours, but it's kind of the air that you breathe, 
your way of life is shaping and educating you. And not just things you are explicitly taught either, right? Right. Right. Or maybe I, I would almost go so far as to say the explicit teaching is when we get to discipline in life. Yeah. And so this is almost everything else. But, you know, I had not, Paideia is one of my favorite. Well, it's not just a Greek concept. It's a Christian concept, but it's right. one of my favorites. And I have never really made that connection. Or if I have before, I already forgot. <laughs> that's, oh, that's amazing. Okay. So then I feel the need to mention that Ephesians 6, 4 verse where it talks about, you know, fathers do not, whatever, raise up your children. That uses the word paideia there, the paideia of God. And there's like really no English way to translate it. So I right. just, nurture um, and admonition. Yes. But yeah, so the words are educare and paideia. Well, educare is the um, the Latin, but anyway, paideia. So I love that you connected that. I just, sorry, <laughs> I just got really excited. I'll try to calm down. <laughs> but it is that kind of idea that everything that we're doing our whole life is shaping us and uh, forming tastes and culture is shaping us. We see that, you know, we get scared by that because of our, what our culture is and the culture that we're in is going to shape us. Right. Uh, I think sometimes we try to figure out ways so that it won't <laughs> and we can shape our own family culture and doing that sort of thing is important. And just recognizing that society is really important in shaping just how we think about things, what we accept as normal is a big part of education. If we're going to try to say what atmosphere is in a single sentence, we're going to summarize this as the part of atmosphere we're focusing on. Cause I do think there are other components that we could go, but we're going to go with really this thought environment. Cause I like what you said, Misty, about the atmosphere shaping what we view of as normal. I think that's a really good way yeah. to put it. So it's like we're swimming in this atmosphere that's around us. And yes, we, we can and should make a distinction, like make our home atmosphere distinctive, especially considering that a lot of us want to combat the influences of, but we can't get away from it because it's just the air we're breathing. And so it's what's coming in that shapes us at even like a subconscious level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So where do we want to go from here? Well, I think, you know, we both, when we were researching for this episode, well, for this whole series, we tried finding the original Matthew Arnold quote that Charlotte Mason says she's quoting Matthew Arnold. And we did our best to track that down and could not. But there are, we did find that there are a few books of his that are not digitized. So, yes. and we also found um, someone who was not her quoting him. <laughs> yes, we found other people quoting him. <laughs> so, it must so it Let's seems to somewhere. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, cause, cause every once in a while she does misattribute things because she's doing it from memory. She's not going right. and, you know, so it's good to know that it probably wasn't a misattribution. Of course, I even, I assumed that maybe it was and Googled it and all I could find was him. Like I didn't find other people. You know, sometimes she'll Google an Einstein quote and it turns out it's Ben Franklin. That didn't right. happen with this. <laughs> <laughs> so. I read a little bit of a biography about him, and uh, it said yeah. one of the things he thought was most important was culture. Hmm. And so he was really trying to combat the idea of education as vocational training because he said what people need is higher thoughts. They need a strong and rich culture. So he kind of, he had a lot of negative things to say about middle class <laughs> awesome. and America. <laughs> so America's problem was they had no aristocracy because it's the aristocracy's job to protect culture and pass it on. And so that it was interesting, but it did seem like that was one of his big things. So that makes sense then that atmosphere probably can, does contain that idea because that was one of his things he saw as most important was learning about culture and doing culture and passing it on. Hmm. And, you know, like high culture. So art and literature, expressions of principle thought and not just getting ahead in the world. Which is very American. 
<laughs> yeah. Because I, I was thinking, like, when you read some of the early Americans, you'll get this sense of that they're not anti-aristocracy. They just want an aristocracy of merit. So you've proven your worth versus been born to your worth or whatever. But that practically translates into rising to the top, like monetarily, usually. Yeah, people who are ambitious, not necessarily right. virtuous. Right. And it, it doesn't necessarily require that broad classical type of education, like the non-practical that Matthew Arnold loved so much. So that's interesting. Hmm. As I was thinking through this issue, I was kind of going through some of the things that Charlotte Mason said. And one of the things that I found really, really interesting, she has this section in home education called nursery theology. And she's talking about the child's theology being mm, shaped by the parent's choice of a bad nurse. So I'm just going to read it really mm -hmm. quick. But she says, now listen to what goes on in many a nursery. God does not love you, you naughty, wicked boy. He'll send you to the bad, wicked place and so on. And this is all the practical teaching about the ways of the almighty lover that the child gets. Never a word of how God does love and cherish the little children all day long and fills their hours with delight. Add to this listless, perfunctory prayers, idle discussions of divine things in their presence, light use of holy words, few signs whereby the child can read that the things of God are more to his parents than any things of the world, and the child is hindered, tacitly forbidden to come into me. And this often by parents who in the depths of their hearts desire nothing in comparison with God. So, I mean, there's a lot that can be said about that passage. But what I thought was so interesting is that she didn't start with the parents' mistakes. She started with who they chose to spend many hours in their child's life. Right. So it's, it's a time thing. It's a relationship. You know, it's not just because you're the parent that makes your opinion count the most even. It's who is spending the hours with your kids and what are they saying and doing. Right. Which is one reason why we're homeschooling. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say is because, you know, a lot of us have seen kids who have become, say, peer dependent just simply because of the fact that they haven't spent time with the parents. They become dependent upon the attitudes and opinions of the people they have spent time with, which, you know, when you're sending a kid to school ends up being same age peers. So, mm -hmm. so that's their atmosphere. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. No matter what the school tries to do, because you've got one teacher with 30 kids right. and yeah, it, it takes a very big personality of a teacher to overcome the atmosphere that's created by all of the other kids their age in the classroom. Yeah. And you see that quite a bit in or I have seen that in the great tradition selections. There were several passages that have to do with being careful who you put in charge of small children. Hmm. And, and partly it's interesting because it's pretty clear that these different thinkers, like um, Isocrates and Quintilian were some of them, you know, education, sending your kids to the tutor to learn philosophy or oratory, you know, that is something that the older children do, or you're sending young adults even almost. You know, and people were thinking of that as being education. And a lot of what these ancient thinkers were trying to communicate was that the childhood matters to who that person will become. Hmm. It's not just holding ground until you send them off to school at 12 or 13 or 18. Uh, it's not just the university training that's going to make of them what they are. It's really that childhood experience shapes them in profound ways. And so how long they spend, how long they spend with their mother, who their nurse is. There's also one section talking about how much it matters who your child, who your son's pedagogue is. And the introduction said it's kind of an untranslatable word. It's kind of like the companion, your boy's companion servant. Uh. It was, you know, the one who went and carried everything for him. Mm -hmm. did everything for him, but was also his friend. And so this would just be a lower class person. But, you know, the character of that person mattered. No matter what class or role he was serving in the child's life, it's whoever he's spending time with, 
your son's high birth doesn't mean he's going to, you know, be the one in charge of this situation. He's going to be picking up habits and thoughts from whoever he's spending time with, kind of regardless of class. Okay, so I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, well, my kids spend time with their siblings mostly. They're homeschooled. So the amount of time is very different than maybe how childhood has been spent before now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so how does this apply to me? Well, they're not just spending time with their siblings mostly. They're spending time with you mostly. Uh -oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I often say that when I'm ready to go to confession, I just have to look and see what my kids have been doing, and there lays all my sins right there. <laughs> I know exactly what I've been doing wrong. They show me. So little mirrors. They re they really are. And so we have to be I think they pick up on the things we say and don't say, our attitudes, how we speak to others. Have you ever turned around to get onto your 4-year-old for speaking to a younger sibling and uh you're like, "Whoa, they sounded just like me." So you know, I think even more so because the ratio for most of us is one to three or one to five or one to seven or something like that, then I think the mother does have a lot of influence. And I think when you have larger families, the older kids have a lot of influence on the younger ones too. I've talked to Jennifer McIntosh before and she's talked about using that to her advantage. I think you can't put it, push it off on the kids. It's, it's us. And then it's also, I think, what, you're, what are your kids doing with their time? What's filling their heads? Because you know, they're spending time with us, school hours, reading aloud. They're playing with their siblings, maybe neighborhood friends, but they're probably spending a lot of hours in books or TV or computer or whatever, you know, all those kind of things that fill their heads. I think atmosphere is partly that what's going into your head and shaping what you want, what you like. I think the education as atmosphere is really getting at the ordo amoris right. and shaping affections. Hmm. It leads us back to James K.A. Smith. I can't remember the name of the book right now. The first You one. Are What You Love. Yeah, but it's the You, it's the you Are What oh, You desiring Love. The yeah, Desiring the Kingdom. And so we do not think about the fact that the mall is a liturgy or football Saturday is a liturgy or, you know, any, we don't think about those mm -hmm. things, but they really, really do become, you know, things that we do and repeat. And so they become a liturgy of our life and affect, mm -hmm. right. shape our loves, what we're pointed mm -hmm. towards. So as the arrow. Mm -hmm. When we talk about this particular issue, I always remember something that happened really early on. I mean, I shouldn't say that early on, but um, I think in my oldest was like probably second grade. And there was a group of homeschoolers that was meeting at the park and we, you know, the kids were allowed to climb trees and stuff, even though we were at a park in public. And there was also um, a very type A mom's <laughs> preschool group there. And it was interesting to me because I could overhear what they were talking about. And at the same time, I could overhear them mm, criticizing the parenting of the homeschool group because the kids were being allowed to climb so high and they were convinced. And they did. They also had little kids. And I remember you know, when I had preschoolers not realizing what they would be capable of when they were bigger, right? So there was some of that going on too. But, um, you know, they were just kind of quietly freaking out and criticizing those who were letting their children climb in the trees and all that stuff. But what was interesting to me was the irony because they seemed so concerned about what would happen to their children physically. And yet the other discussions that I could hear, because they were really loud, <laughs> were also you could tell they didn't really, they weren't very thoughtful about what their children's minds were exposed to, what movies they watched, what media they were allowed to engage with. You know, I mean, they just weren't. And I just thought that is so interesting that they're more careful with the body than with the mind or with the soul. And I, I do wonder sometimes that if that's kind of a direction that our culture has gotten, because I feel like there's so much pressure to like, keep your kids healthy. It's almost to the point where if they get sick, it's your fault, you know, <laughs> or something versus the older focus, broken legs will heal, but broken souls 
it's not that easy, right? I don't know. It's interesting. Well, and two, like, you know, people, they don't want their children to be kidnapped and taken off. They want to keep them physically safe, but they never think about some of the ways their mind could be taken and held captive. Oh, you know, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. My husband was just reading an article this last week on how prevalent having smartphones are for even young children and that high schoolers, I mean, it's just pretty much ubiquitous at this point. They all have a smartphone and that there's a correlation. No matter how they try to get the numbers or define the categories, there is a correlation between time spent in front of a screen and unhappiness. Hmm. You know, probably it's social media. So then what's always coming in, but comparisons and hmm. criticisms or in-groups or out-groups and gossip, and that's kind of what it all is. When that's what's coming in, there really isn't anything else to come out. Hmm. And then I think we can all see, you know, social media is not something that only kids do. <laughs> right. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> I think it is true for all ages and not just teens, but we can see that in our own lives as moms as well. You know, what are we putting in our heads and how is that affecting what's coming out of our mouths and fingertips? So you mean funny cat memes are bad? <laughs> I'm so how glad that you took your... away. Yeah, really. But she's taking away the right lesson. your loves. <laughs> Okay, but I think this is a great segue into the fact that atmosphere is not just about what we're providing for our children in the home, but also there's an atmosphere for us as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And if we're the atmosphere for them, then our atmosphere, our thought environment matters that much more. Hmm. Mm hmm. I thought this was also an applicable quote. This is from the great tradition, the section on Quintilian. Uh, he says, it's held that schools corrupt the morals. It is true that this is sometimes the case, but morals may be corrupted at home as well. That's so true. <laughs> the nature of the individual boy and the care devoted to his education make all the difference. Given a natural bent toward evil or negligence in developing and watching over modest behavior in early years, Privacy will provide equal opportunity for sin. Hmm. So it's not so much where the education is happening, but the character of the person providing it. Hmm. And so it just being mom or a tutor that we trust or that sort of thing isn't enough. The teacher has to have virtue himself and be loving and pursuing the good the true, the beautiful, and providing that all the time. Yeah. I've heard public school teachers complain about how, you know, the parents put it all on them and they're like, look, you had them for, you know, five, six years before they came to us. And when they came to us, they were already damaged goods, you know, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and they feel like they're trying to pick up the pieces. But like Pam was mentioning earlier, they're trying to do it for 30 kids in one year. <laughs> What an insurmountable task that probably seems like. Yeah, Andrew Pudua has a quote that says, you can't get something out of a mind that has nothing in it. So if, yeah. if you're teaching middle school or high school and these kids walk in your door, I mean, you only have so much that you can work with in that period of time that you have that child. And if there's nothing there for you to start with, then you're kind of just... And this kind of goes back to the conversation we were having about homeschooling high school and being prepared to do that. We were having that conversation the other day. So we have an obligation as homeschooling moms to make sure that when that child reaches that point where mostly what they're doing, and <laughs> I'm going to pull up the whole rhetoric stage, which I know, you know, but... <laughs> I know. <laughs> but when they the think about it, though, in high school, we're asking them to process information and share about it, make us some write essays, things of that nature. And if there's nothing there to begin with, it's going to be so difficult for them to do that at that point. So what 
what have we filled them with and what example have we given them? Yeah. Yeah, it all builds. It starts when they're really young. You can't just jump in at a certain age and say, okay, now we'll get serious or now we'll, now this is where education begins. It's less about that and more about what kind of environment have they grown up? Have they grown up with stories and speaking kindly to one another? These kind of habits will be shaping who they become more than whatever school checklist did or didn't get done. Brandy, this makes me think, doesn't Ambleside do something in the youngest grades with like hero stories or something like that? Yeah, that starts in year one. They do um, 50 famous stories retold by James Baldwin. And um, so isn't this kind of, too. isn't I mean, it that kind of an atmosphere thing right there? You're, yeah, I mean, for sure, because Charlotte Mason talks about the goal of those stories really being for them to begin to admire what is good. Like, that's really the goal of those stories. And I mean, of course, she wants them to be able to retell it and know it and all of that. But her ultimate goal is this uh, formation. I mean, really, it's she doesn't she uses the word moral imagination, actually, in some place, but not in this place. But it really is that. I mean, it's this idea of like you're forming or their loves maybe is another way of looking at it. But they're learning to admire what is good, admire what is great. And that's the you know, that's the very beginning. So before they ever get to Plutarch. You know, they've had these baby stories of things to admire. So if I'm a mom sitting at home and I have a bunch of little kids around me and I'm thinking, okay, how can I do this? Hmm. That might be a place to start. I would say so. Yeah, for sure. And you can start hero tales. I mean, the second they're interested enough to listen, you know, because some of those you can't find in a picture book form. Some of them you can. In fact, I actually went through there one time and looked up to see how many picture books I could match with that because then I could do it with preschoolers and it'd be a little bit more attention grabbing. But the second they're willing to listen to a story without pictures, I mean, you can do it. Or even like St. George and the Dragon. Yes. That's oh, yeah, a big that's winner. Yes. Yeah. We had family. the guy, the guy that becomes mayor of London or whatever, his, sends his cat away. Right. Tom, was it Tom? I can't I can't remember his name, but that appears in that book, but yeah. I found a picture book version of it. And so my kids loved that when they were little, I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. I can find it, but yeah, but you know, the other thing I was thinking, what you, what you were saying, Pam, was that that's why mother culture is so important. Like if we go back to that original article from the 1800s on mother culture, the thing that she's saying is that the mother needs to keep reading and growing, even if she's still having babies so that she has something to offer them when they hit those upper years. And so the focus of mother culture was really like, keep your brain alert, keep learning, because you need to have something to say back with, to your older children. And you're not going to, if you just let yourself get all, you know, washed up with diapers and putting food on the table and all that kind of stuff that's necessary but that, you know, we start to feel overwhelmed and our world gets really small and we're tired. <laughs> anyway, but that's like the whole point of mother culture really is to face those upper years, which is interesting in this context. I never thought about it in this context before. Yeah, that brings right. me and back to Susan Weiss Bauer's article, Stop Cleaning the Kitchen and Read a Book, um, ah, which, you know, mm -hmm. is a favorite I for, love many, the title. for many reasons. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, Some of us don't have to be convinced. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Twist> my arm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if that is culture. So if atmosphere is culture, then we have to be providing it for our children. But that means we also have to have it and be pursuing it and building it. And yeah, education, I think... We, we toss around things like, oh, my goal is to have lifelong learners, but that means modeling it yourself. Yeah. You're not going mm -hmm. to be producing that if that's not what your kids see in you. If that's really what you want as a lifelong learner, then that means you want to be a lifelong learner. That's really your goal. And so that means that education isn't just for the kids. It is for us. Culture isn't just for the kids. It's for us. It's something that we would do even if we weren't homeschooling. It's something we might continue to do after we're done homeschooling. You know, it's this worthwhile thing that we can be learning and growing ourselves. Yeah. I don't know how my husband's going to feel about it, but I totally plan to have a circle time with him when the kids are gone. 
<laughs> you know, it's funny because in the preface to your morning basket, Cindy talks about that. She said, you know, sometimes I think my husband fears that now that all of the children are grown and gone, I mean, I think she has one left who's actually attending school, that I'm going to grab him and try to teach him. <laughs> but she was Can you talking, imagine? She was talking Look about at this doing, picture. <laughs> she was talking about doing circle time or morning time for herself, you know, yeah. and um, just recently, and I'm not sure how they're going to line up the podcast wise, like when this one's going to come out as compared to this other one. But just recently, I recorded a podcast for your morning basket with Jennifer McIntosh, all about mother's morning basket. Ooh. And yeah, and so uh, I'm sure we can link that in the show notes to this one when it's ready to go up. But it was just a really great conversation. And she talks about the importance of why she does this, why it's important for her to have what, you know, sometimes is 15, sometimes is only 30 minutes in the morning to herself and what it means for her homeschool that she does it. Yeah. I was actually just thinking about that. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, she's so cute. Everything she touches is cute. <laughs> like, if you, yeah, I am not, I'm, there's nothing cute about me. Um, Your hair is really cute today. Your hair looks nice today. <laughs> yeah, but see, it's because someone else did it. So the second I wash it, it'll be back to looking like a sheep. But anyway, um, that sheep that you always post a picture of, Pam, I'm like, oh my gosh. It's my self-portrait. Anyway, <laughs> um, but I was I was actually just thinking this because I have not gotten up very early this summer. I mean, it's not like I'm sleeping in, but I mean, I've gotten up at like 6.45 or 7. And usually during the school year, I get up at 6 and I'm out of the habit because I let myself get more sleep this summer. And I let myself stay up a little later, so it's probably even actually. But the reality is when school starts, I'm actually not going to be able to fit in what I can fit in in the summer. It didn't matter that I wasn't getting up because I could still read my Bible at some other time during the day and I could still get in book reading and I could, you know, and, and that just really, I have to schedule things more when we've got all the lessons to fit in. So I was just thinking that I need to start getting up at six again and making sure that I have that about half hour before the day really gets going. I mean, people are up, but they know not to interrupt me, mm -hmm. but I have to do it at that time because if I start at 630 no one's going to not interrupt me. <laughs> Things are already going at that point. So that makes a big difference. It really does. So what other things, because we're talking about book reading, making time for book reading, but what other things do you guys think affect the mother's thought environment? Because I'm thinking there's the what we want to put in, but there's also maybe things we need to consider cutting back on or changing that aren't book related. Well, I think the same thing where in the great tradition, you know, it's talking about who the kids' friends are, basically, you know, who they're spending time with, who they're hanging out with, who's around them all the time. I think that also applies to mothers. And, you know, who who are you talking to during the day? And what are you talking about? Mm. Who is helping shape your interpretation of what's happening in your day? Uh, is it comparing it to perfect Instagram photos. Um, you know, I post Instagram photos, but <laughs> not very many of them are perfect. <laughs> no, I'm not. Mine either. Mine are not. Yeah, like I said, my, everything I touch is not cute. It might be done, but it's not cute. <laughs> <laughs> but, our talents lie elsewhere, ladies. Yes. <laughs> Actually, Sam, you're kind of cute. Well, oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't want you to I think I was like, meant. <laughs> I didn't want you to think I'm putting you in the same category as me because I think you're cuter than I am. <laughs> are you talking about the people you surround yourself with? Are you talking about ideas or are you talking about people? I was thinking both. Both. Okay, but I was thinking about talking about people in a not so good way. You know, what do you spend your time talking about? Do you spend your time talking about ideas or do you spend your time talking about others? Mm, like gossip? Like gossip. <gasps> I was trying not to like call anybody out or say <laughs> the word. I have an article that I linked in one of my thought worthy posts that I've got to find because it was about a gal who had, I don't remember if it, I think she had a brain aneurysm that she like survived. 
but she was talking about the change she made in her life is that you could tell she was one of those like super gossip girl types. And that was the thing when she had to face death that she realized. And she was like, wow, the world is so much more pleasant if you don't spend your time talking about people and criticizing them and all. And it was just, it was a fascinating thing because she made like a 180 <laughs> on, anyway, I'll have to find it and put it in the show notes because it was really good. I might've read that. That may be where I got that from because recently I've read something about, you know, if you're spending your time talking about people instead of ideas, you're missing such a great opportunity to, you're just missing, you're missing out. Maybe it was that article I read because I read your thought worthy. So. Oh, thanks. But I think too, I mean, we do need to be filling our heads with ideas, but then it helps if you are talking about that with someone in a living it out kind of way where it's not just filling our heads with abstract ideas and talking about all these ideals out there kind of that we're trying to reach, but then we are actually doing life and it's doesn't look anything like all those ideas we're talking about. Mm. But, you know, just sharing real life is important too. Right. And it doesn't always sound as maybe intellectual or interesting, but the just sharing life with one another and being open and honest and mm -hmm. sharing details about your own life. where it, So it's different that you're not talking about other people, <laughs> but it's right. okay to, to kind of process life with someone who gets it. Oh yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I love about my local homeschool mommy book club is that exact thing that we're able to. What's nice about that, I will say, is that the context of those conversations is this reading that we're sharing. So it's kind of like the reading is aligning us more with truth before we even start the conversations. I find that really helpful. It gives this framework, you know, that we've agreed upon in advance that's going to kind of filter us. So even if we're all equally struggling with something, there's like this outside source, you know, scripture and then whatever book we're on reading. The same page. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was thinking, okay, so for me personally, there was a time where I went through my iTunes because I do, I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm walking mm. and switched it out. And it, you know, it wasn't any particular thing. It wasn't like I could say, look, I was listening to this thing and it was really bad and I shouldn't have been listening. To it. it wasn't anything like that, but it was like somehow it had gotten off balance. And I felt all of a sudden I felt the impact on myself, you know, that I just was, it was like a little too secular, a little too world. And it's not that I think we need to live in a Christian ghetto, but it was like the thoughts in my head became not quite what I wanted them to be. And so I just went through and decided I need to add in a couple of things that are more where I want to be. <laughs> and I need to take out mm -hmm. a couple of things just to provide more balance for myself. And it was really helpful when I did that because those are literally the voices in my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Misty and I have spoken about this before. You know how it's very difficult. You can't keep all the plates spinning. And so you have to focus on a couple of plates at a time. And so I find that like if I get into really reading fiction or if I get into really working at my job or if I get into, I would say really cleaning the house, but that never happens. Um, <laughs> you know, then I lose some of my focus on homeschooling. And this is one of the reasons mm -hmm. why I love, love, love to just put the homeschool on autopilot. So it's functioning at those times when it's not the forefront in my mind, but I can feel it. I can feel for a few weeks, I might not be the best teacher I could be, or I might not be as in tune with what my kids are needing and able to make changes that need to be made or, or things like that, because I'm, I'm focused elsewhere. And so I see what you're saying. And so if you get like everything in your life is secular and there's not a spiritual focus or everything in your life is fluff, like it's all bubble bath reading and there's no harder reading. It has to be fed in order to be there yeah. enough to make a difference, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Isn't there a story about like which dog you're feeding? Does this sound familiar to you? I feel like I have this vague recollection of having heard this. 
Okay. I'm going to totally butcher this, but I'm going with it. Okay. So imagine that you have these different dogs and all the dogs are symbolizing, you know, different aspects of your life or whatever. And so like, if you're struggling with bitterness, well, that dog's going to stay alive as long as you feed it. Right. So it was this idea of, well, I want to say it was, which dog are you feeding was the title or I don't know. This is really long time ago. I'm reaching far back into the past here, but it was a fascinating concept. And I think it translates into this really well, because why was I off balance? It was that I was just overfeeding a single dog. It wasn't that there was anything particularly wrong with it, but it was just exactly what you're saying. You know, it's hard to feed all of them, <laughs> all the ones we want at the same time. So we're just constantly shifting. Oh, now this needs my focus. And then we kind of feel that red flag. So now this needs my focus, right? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Well, it's also part of your culture or your own atmosphere is your own telling yourself your story, like interpreting what's going on. What story are you telling yourself about what just happened? So the stories you're putting in your head or the people that you're talking to shape how you tell them about your day or your life or what you're thinking about. And now what you are talking about is kind of reinforcing how you're thinking about things and what categories you're putting things in. And so mm -hmm. having those friends that know that, you know, your attitude is important and, you know, you know that you can share a sympathetic joke, but it's not at anyone's expense. It's trying to help you see it as funny. Having someone that can help you turn it and laugh at it is super helpful. Well, and this goes back <laughs> to your mottos and analogies that you use, uh, like in simplified True. organization and things, mm -hmm. too, right? Yeah, to give yourself little things to say or ways to respond. You know, learning to laugh at ourselves sure is handy. That's true. It's not that I can always do it, but when I do, I'm like, wow, that felt much better than being angry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, I think we are coming to the end of our hour. And, you know, I didn't actually put in a nitty gritty question. So surprise, I have an idea. <laughs> we'll take one. Um, well, no, my idea actually was that we try to build something that we actually give away. Because what I thought was, I think the best nitty gritty question would be the one we ask ourselves, which is basically evaluating the thought environment we're building in our home and in our own personal life. And even though those two are connected, I think it's a little bit different because with the home, I would think we're thinking more about the kids mm -hmm. <laughs> than ourselves. But I actually thought it might be fun to try to come up with a few things that we would look at if we were going to actually try to inventory this ourselves. Like I say, I was going to get my journal and I was going to try to really think through this and do a brain dump. What are some of the questions or what, what I put on my list or what are the, I don't know. I'm just thinking if we got people started so that they could then turn to their journal or a blank piece of paper and try to think through it and see if there's anything they want to change after they have the, their lives on paper. So what are the questions you'd ask yourself? So Surprise. Atmosphere <laughs> audit. Yeah, there you go. I like the atmosphere audit idea. So am I setting aside time for sure. reading and kind of that Big idea? Yeah, that mother's morning basket time. Am I setting aside time for that on a daily basis or regularly? Bible reading and prayer. Hmm. And then with the children, you know, is there time set aside for family prayer? Is there a place to look at these things of culture? Is there a place for them in your homeschool <laughs> morning time? Um, <laughs> you know, shameless self promotion, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, who who or what is shaping yeah. what you want in life? And maybe how many hours kids. a day too. Yeah. Like who am I listening to? But then how how much time am I giving my ear to, to those voices too? What's your yeah. little time thing that you do, Misty? I'm forgetting the name of it right now. A weekly time budget? Yes. Yes. So you could do like an atmosphere time budget. Um, like, you know, how many hours are you spending doing this? How many hours are you spending doing that? How many hours are your kids spending doing this? Because, you know, we always need to be reined in on screen time and things like that because it creeps. What? I know. <laughs> I know. We get really, like, good and diligent, usually in Lent, and then, you know, it creeps back. 
So, yeah, so it's almost like one of Misty's interval things where you would sit down and do a, you have to put us together a packet, Misty, or you sit down and, right. and do a time budget, you know, of hmm. maybe like what is happening and a little mini audit. And then you can make a plan for what things you would like to change over the next six weeks or something like that and create a proposed time budget. And hmm. That would be a helpful like tool. It is something that you have to be intentional with because if you just let atmosphere happen on its own without intentionally shaping it and choosing it, it's not going to be what you want. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Atmosphere is something that takes work. Yes. Well, you know what's interesting too is that, you know, Charlotte Mason calls atmosphere discipline in life the three tools of education. And I think atmosphere is the one that's hardest for us to imagine how to use as a tool. If discipline of habit is a tool, I'm like, okay, I'll do habit training. Like right. no brainer, right? right. <laughs> but with atmosphere, it's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but there's no plan of action really. And even in her, in her writings, I don't think there's a huge plan of action the way there is with the other things. And so I like this. Yeah. Because I think it kind of dispels some of the mystery of it. Did we record an episode in under an hour? We're such good girls. Almost. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. 59. Look at us. See, <laughs> accountability is an amazing thing. Whoop, whoop. We should add that to our budget or to our <laughs> audit. So you have accountability on your atmosphere. Maybe it would help with that, too. <laughs> uh, the Put pressure of being video. live. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, you guys, for coming. This has been fun. Yes. Thanks, everyone, for showing up. Yeah. yeah. A lot of fun. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast. As always, we'd really appreciate it if you head on over and give us some reviews, especially if you are listening on iTunes or Stitcher. As I mentioned in the intro, today's episode has a bonus, something we're calling the Atmosphere Audit. All you have to do is go to the show notes, which you can find at scalaysisters.com slash SS26. That's scalaysisters.com slash SS26. And fill out the little form, and it will email the audit to you almost instantly. We look forward to having you back next time for the second installment of this series. We'll be discussing education as a discipline. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone. So open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters. Are you there? We... Oh, okay. Yep. I, I, we look froze. I just switched over to the screen to look and we look frozen. Every, oh, there we go. Every time I switch windows and come back, I look, we look frozen. So, okay. That's what it is. <laughs> around us. She might want to say that again because you hit your microphone when you said it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move over here. Right. So that, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no you go. You go. <laughs> so I'm like, I mean, paper, scissors. <laughs>